Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and today is Marvel Unlimited Monday. Uh, We've got 14 comics to talk about today so let's jump right into it. The first issue is another Age of X-Men tie-in, Prisoner X. So we're in a really exciting time I'd say um, in Marvel Unlimited in that we've got all of these Age of X-Men tie-ins and we're getting the first issues right now. Like I said it's been hit or miss but it's always nice to read a new number one issue to see if you want to jump onto um, whatever series that is. And these ones are even nicer because they're short mini-series. But uh, this one, again, is called Prisoner X. It's written by Vita Ayala with art by Jermaine Peralta and color art by Mike Spicer with letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Uh, the little info at the beginning says, The Danger Room Prison Complex houses mutants who have been disturbed, the, who have disturbed the status quo multiple times and continue to make the same mistakes. They are sentenced to reevaluation where they will relearn to be a harmonious part of society. So, much like all the other Age of X-Men series, we're dealing with this alternate reality where... Uh, everything is perfect, everything is roses, and anyone who says differently about that is going to disappear. And that entire premise, I think, is really cool. Obviously, like I've said in weeks past, there's certain comics that are hitting the mark versus other ones that aren't. But what I've really enjoyed overall, especially now with this issue, is all of them are tied together. So if you read one, it's like you almost might as well read them all. And I don't think you have to. Like I said, I'll find out once I start getting into the number two issues. But for the most part, like this, Prisoner X, is it takes place in the prison where people get taken for disagreeing or for you know trying to, to buck the sense. And that's kind of what happened in that last issue from last week. And now we're getting to see what happens inside of that prison. And so this issue follows Luke Bishop. If uh, you guys don't know who that is, Lucas Bishop, he is uh, Bishop, the uh, mutant who kind of did some, I don't know, it's not exactly time traveling, but he's a big part of Days of Future Past. And uh, one of those mutants where, you know, if time travel is involved or the Sentinels are involved or uh, mutant extermination is involved, he's going to be at the forefront of it. And in this first page, you see what his crimes are, which are possessing illegal weapons, conspiring to disseminate anti-autonomy misinformation, uh, initiating romantic relationship with another person. So if you remember, again, from Age of X-Men and some of those other tie-ins, they talk about how uh, basically everyone's autonomous and they don't need other people. You shouldn't be involved with other people. And so clearly that's what happened. And it says the danger room prison complex, location unknown. And um, overall thoughts on this issue, uh, just like the other ones, I uh, except for that one, I uh, I liked it. I thought it was good, and I'm de- I'm really curious about what uh, what's going to come out of this series, and uh, that's partly because of the cast that's in this series. So, without talking too many spoilers, uh, you see people in the prison. Uh, Beast is in the prison, which is uh, really cool to see. He's like uh, he's basically the big bad guy in the prison, like the 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 resident tough guy, you could say. And uh, that is super cool because when you think about it, like, Beast would be in that prison. Like, if the prison is for people who are, you know, getting misinformation and feel like, oh, you know, this world around me is not what it seems, Beast, it makes total sense that Beast's there because of how smart he is. But it seems as though he's kind of reverted to just being a beast. And um, as well as Gabby, uh, X-23's clone sister, is in here as well. And... um, She's great. She also doesn't really know what's going on, but there's just hit Beast and Bishop kind of get into a fight and we learn and throughout this whole thing Beast's kind of getting flashbacks of what was and he has a little talk with Polaris as well out on the prison yard and uh, I think is it Moonstar? I think Moonstar's in here as well, but they all kind of don't know who he is, but at the same time they do. And so he's like trying to find answers and people are like shh, like don't talk about it, shut up. And uh, by the end of this issue, though, it were, this is why I say this is really interesting, because by the end of this issue, um, Bishop gets a message, and I won't reveal what that message is, but it's, I'm excited to see what happens next for sure in this issue. So much like the other um, Age of X-Men issues, um, not necessarily required reading, especially if you're really into this House and Powers of X that's out right now in shops. But um, for an enjoyable side read of something, like I said, I, I typically read my comics while I'm at work, 
but if I'm not at work, like on Labor Day or, you know, if I'm actually, it's always going to be if I'm at work now, but it used to be, you know, if I'd forget to read it on Monday, I would read it at home or, uh, you know, on my iPad, on the couch. It's so nice to just relax and read these comics. And this is a perfect example for one that's, that's a great relaxing read or something that um, you can follow along weekly. Uh, the next issue is Avengers issue 16. So we're still on the um, the Vampire War, the War of the Vampires right now. This I- issue is called A Fistful of Blood by Jason Aaron and art by David Marquez. Color art by Eric Arciniega and then letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, uh, the king himself. Uh, this one, uh, and again, I've read all of these Avengers issues because I've been reading Avengers in real time. But uh, this, I would say, in terms of the Vampire War, this is probably the weakest issue of them all. And that's just because it's more of a, a character development issue than an action issue. And we, we need those sometimes. But uh, it focuses mainly on Ghost Rider. He's uh, still trying to grapple with this uh, giant demon that's now inside him that the vampires kind of released into him. And he's essentially sort of getting the crap kicked out of him by Thor and Captain Marvel, the big the big guns. But they're not phasing this demon. So, like, He's, he's having an internal battle with himself and this demon, but on the outside in the real world, it's just a big fire demon that's fighting these guys. So it's a really cool fight. And I guess in a sense you could say that's uh, that's some it's some really good action, but at the end of the day, it's like, I want the Vampire War. I don't need more Ghost Rider. I mean, I'm not the biggest Ghost Rider fan, and I'm sure and there's probably a lot of people out there that are, but I, I just appreciate that Jason Aaron's giving Ghost Rider his due in this series. We've already gotten a issue if you missed it way back when i think it was issue seven was the origin of ghost rider um jason aaron talked about it and that that was a phenomenal issue but by this point i don't know that's just me going come on i want to i want to know what's going on the big the big twist in this issue is we get to see the red widow who is part of the um sort of the winter guard in russia we don't know who the red widow is and i'll tell you this much even on my current issue which i think is like issue 23 of avengers we still don't know who the red widow is so this is a really cool mystery um i personally when i read this and read it you know prior to i didn't even have an idea any idea as to who this red widow is so if you've got thoughts on that let me know because i would love to hear you know anyone who knows that sort of thing i'm not too familiar with the winter guard anyway but red red widow is essentially interrogating quote unquote or yeah i would say quote unquote interrogating basically torturing dracula for some answers and that whole part of this story is awesome that whole part is great but we also get a great panel or two with uh, Captain Marvel in this issue. So any Captain Marvel fans out there, it is just phenomenal. She goes up against uh, the Ghost Rider demon, and um, he's like got her in his clutches. And he says, after this, sinner's face turns you to f- turns to fire. All of you will join her in penance. And she says, I'm gonna take a hard pass on all that. And he says, impossible, no mortal can withstand the penance stare. And she says, whoever said I was mortal? And believe me, I've done penance my whole damn life. And I'm sick and tired of being punished for existing. And bl- like just blows him up. But obviously he's still not dead. But um, that was just, you know, you love seeing Captain Marvel kind of hulk out in that sense. But uh, as well, you know, Blade's got some cool moments in here too. And then um, we kind of get, like I said, we're getting kind of an update on the the vampire, the legion of undead, I think is what they call themselves, the whole vampire hit squad that's been out. And we get we get forward into that, and I'll, I'll tell you this much, because then it just kind of ends on a, a sort of cool cliffhanger, but essentially this cliffhanger um, hints at things to come in the current Avengers that's up now. So um, like 10 issues in advance, you're kind of hinting at it, which is cool. But at the end of the day, I want like this vampire, this war of the vampires has been so cool to read about. And like I said, this issue just kind of deviates from that whole thing. You get bits and pieces of it. It's not it's such a, not a bad issue by any means. I just, I'm wanting to get to issue 17 because guys, issue 17, I think is the, the final one. That's the final issue in the war of the vampires. And it's a, they go out in a bang. So hop on now, get a slow start and then uh, finish strong with issue 17. Um, that's probably one of my, fa- well, like I said, I, I guess it was one of my faves when it came out, but it, with the, uh, the cavalcade of comics that we've got this week, the, it's, it's not necessarily my favorite. So next up, we've got Avengers, no road home and uh this in terms of comparing it to the other avengers book because sometimes it's hard not to this one does everything better 
And uh, this one's written by Jim Zub, Mark Wade, and Al Ewing. Uh, I've said it before. I'm saying it again. That's the dream team. We got artist Sean Azoxi and uh, color art by Marcio Menez with letters by VCs Corey Petit. And uh, essentially this issue is the backstory on Nyx. So like I said, the, the last Avengers issue was kind of like just going over Ghost Rider stuff, which is character development in its own right. But in this issue, it's fully devoted to Nyx, and they make it such an interesting issue. You get to find out the whole history of her, how she's involved with like the Greek gods, and uh, her kids, all of the kind of little demon kids that she spawned. We also find out in this issue why... Um, or what the meaning of no road home is in this series, man. I was saying that in one of the first issues, like what, why is this one called no road home? We found out why in this issue. And uh, I won't, I won't tell you why I'm not going to spoil it, but um, it's not anything crazy, but it just has to do with Nick's and her imprisonment. And so that, that part was cool. We also get a cool fight with the Avengers and, uh, but then obviously, you know, Nick's arrives and she, she is so powerful. I've underestimated how powerful she is. And we find out also why, you know, how she came to be in the first place. And, of course, it, it, it ties in completely to uh, Avengers No Surrender. So that's cool. I, I like that. that that's, it's a, a tie into the prior series as well. But from there, all I got to tell you is, and I, I've said this every single week reading this book, is that if you're an Immortal Hulk fan, read this book. And nowhere is that more apparent than in this issue if you love immortal hulk and i'm I'm saying that because uh he doesn't show up until the final panel but just what he says in this final panel had me pumping my fist in the air i was like yes that's the immortal hulk like oh my god i don't ah man i don't want to spoil i really don't want to spoil it because if you guys love immortal hulk you're gonna dig it you're just gonna dig it so hop on this i mean if if you hadn't heard my praises on the prior four issues or three issues hop on this one and and join in um next up though is the uh the sum of all fears i guess you could say this is black order issue number five if any of you were following along last time i talked about black order issue number four i expressed how much i did not like that issue and how much i prayed that this new issue would change my opinion and uh nope not one bit in fact this issue actually made me dare I say, hate this series. And I shouldn't say that because hate is a strong word. And uh, I would say, you know, I strongly dislike this series now. I'll tell you this much, I'm never going to read this series again, nor will I recommend it to anybody, nor will I hopefully, fingers crossed, ever have to talk about it again. Because to me, it did a complete disservice to the Black Order in all respects. And I'm going to tell you why real quick. So like I said, every issue is a from the perspective of a character. This one's Ebony Baugh. At the end of the last issue, it was presumed that he is a traitor to the Black Order. In this issue, we find out a little bit more why. First problem, first strike against this. It's a new artist. And uh, I'm going to double check while I'm talking with you about this. But I, I swear I swear to everything holy, I think it's a new artist. I think Philip Tan has been doing the arts on the series. And um, he's not doing it in this one. It's it's uh, So it's written by Derek Landy with pencils by Carlos Magno and inks by Scott Hanna, with color art by J. David Ramos and Dono Sanchez Almara, with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, which honestly, Clayton, I'm a little shocked that you took this job because you, and it's funny too, I didn't think that this would be a, a thing to talk about on this podcast, but saying your name so many times, Clayton, I've associated you with some really high quality work uh, you've done a lot of really great stories. I mean, you see it as we go through. You you do the, the letters on a lot. Why are you doing the letters on the Black Order? Why is that going to be a part of your resume now? I, I'm, I'm sad. And I'm confirming it, too. Penciled by Philip Tan, issue number four. Why the heck would you tra- change artists on the last issue of your mini-series? I'll tell you why. It's because Philip Tan said, oh, guys, I just I can't do this anymore. Like, I did four. I can't even finish. No, no, no. I honestly don't know why. I'm. Why would I know why? But I can think of a couple of reasons why, and, and one of them is this new art is not good. It's really not good. And if you need any questions as to why it's not good, 
I'm gonna lean, lead you to page five, which is a full page spread of Ebony Maw. Though I don't think it's Ebony Maw, I think it's a very old Aladdin, a very old and gray Aladdin. And uh, it's just, is that it's like an old gray Joe Biden dressed as Aladdin. I mean, I can't even, I, I can't even with that. Okay, so that's one, step one, boom. Okay, page six. Oh no, yeah, you think you think Corvus Glaive looks bad on page six? You wait till you get to page seven because Corvus Glaive says, and I'm telling you this because I want, I need, I need you. Oh my God, I missed it. Okay, so in one panel, Black Swan looks like she's put on 25 pounds, just in that one panel because it looks like she's lost that weight in the next panel on the page. But then you get Corvus Glaive, who looks like he's. Uh, I don't know if he's trying to be an elf or something, but he just looks like a wrinkled old man wearing a black Ku Klux Klan outfit, and it's not good. It's I mean, I don't, is he tr- pretending to be a dwarf, a gnome? I I don't know, but it's it the min oh my god it's even worse on page eight it's even worse on page eight guys i mean the writing i wasn't even at this point i already shut my brain off i said i'm not reading this issue anymore i'm just going to scroll through it because i want to talk about it and when i got to this i'm seeing it again he looks even worse on page eight and that's corvus glaive he is a badass he should be a badass when you see him you should be scared out of your mind not going oh do you need old folks home referrals uh, and then from there we find out, nope, Ebony Ma was not a traitor. He was just a traitor's traitor. Like he was, he was doing it. And then at the end, the very freaking end of this, it, Corvus doesn't look good in any of these panels. And suddenly he looks like he's two feet tall when he's standing next to Proxima. And this is on page 16. I just feel bad. Honestly, guys, like I said, Black Orders is some of my favorite characters and they just got butchered in this series completely. But here's what happens. I'm gonna. I, I don't give a, a hoot and a half if I spoil this for you guys. The book ends just on. It goes right back to status quo. So if you're wondering if this book was gonna do anything for the future, absolutely not. Not a thing. So they just they defeat somehow. Like I said, I'm not reading it, but they end up defeating that guy, the like leader of the planet or whatever. And the game, the Grandmaster shows up. So. If you guys remember, the Grandmaster was the antagonist in Avengers No Surrender. He recruited the Black Order for a mission, and this was like another mission that he was kind of having them do. And he says, uh, the whole point of this whole thing, he says that uh, Attican, who is the was the king of this planet, Attican believed that an empire built on fear, power, and domination could withstand anything. I was of the opinion that as few as five people could topple it all. So that was the game. The game was he sent the Black Order to topple this person's uh, entire planet because of a bet, because of a game. And and then he says, you know, I have plenty more games to play if you're interested. And this is where, and he looks even Endwigas looks so bad in this book too. And that's page we're on page twenty two. Uh, and and uh, Corvus says, we appreciate... And this is Corvus Glaive, guys. This is Corvus Glaive, the the dread king, the man who cannot be killed if as long as he's got his... The man who, who was slaughtering worlds for Thanos in Infinity. He says, we appreciate the offer, Grandmaster, but we do not relish games the way that you do. And uh, he, Grandmaster says, you should. Basically, nothing matters. And except that he's like is foolish this is the last page it's just the ebony maw saying uh yeah i am the ebony maw i know exactly who i am and i am so, okay if i don't if i don't i'm not gonna pretend i didn't say the ebony maw who who says this in a comic i know exactly who i am and i am certainly not one for in- introspection but if i were to turn my eye upon our group i know what i would see I would see resentments, jealousies, doubts, bitterness, and betrayals. I would also see honor, loyalty, and love. I would see the children of Thanos and their adopted sister, which I think is Black Swan. I would see ambitions rekindled, old hatreds stoked. And I would know that the next game we play will be our own. End. Would you have guessed that was the Ebony Maw, or would you have guessed that that was uh, the ending of The Breakfast Club? was this the bright was this the, what the whole mini series was was that the pitch uh marvel what if we took some of the most fearsome and feared foes 
of Marvel's entire, uh, you know, bullpen? What if we took them and kind of gave them a sort of breakfast club twist? Except, what if we flip flopped the artist a couple times and made the art really bad? Do you think that would sell? No, no, it wouldn't, and I don't think it did. I'd love to look up the sales numbers on this series. So. Congratulations, guys. Me telling you it is all that you need. You do not need to read this book. I beg you, don't read it. It's just going to make you mad unless you want to see what the, that what really bad art looks like on that on that issue. And uh, I, I will say, I'm always going to point that out, okay? I'm not dissing the artist. I am dissing the art in the book because, and, and it's probably not even his fault. How, can you imagine being approached and asked to write the fifth and final issue of a mini, a failing mini series? Uh, I'm sorry, I sound like Trump when I say that, but I'm serious. How would you feel? Like, wow, why didn't you ask me to do the other four issues? Why are you coming having me bat cleanup? Moving on, Champions, issue number three. We're getting back into the good books, guys. So, uh, Champions, issue number three. If you guys remember uh, from the other two issues, we know that uh, Mephisto made a deal with Hulk, Hulkling or Braun, and Spider-Man, Miles Morales. Uh for uh, there was a giant travesty in the uh, one of their missions in Dubai, and Vi- I'm just gonna read this. But on a recent mission to Dubai, Viv and Miss Marvel were killed. The demon Mephisto offered Miles and Braun a do-over, and they took it, using the second chance to save their friends. Mephisto claimed there were no strings attached, but is it all too good to be true? And this issue deals with that. Now, I'm not the biggest Nova fan. I love Nova. Don't get me wrong, I love Nova, but I've only read very few. No- I've read like Dan Abnett, most of Dan Abnett and Andy Lan, yeah, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's run, and then also the I don't remember who the writer was, but the Nova run that was right around all new, all different Marvel. Um, so I don't, I didn't follow it for very long, but there's some character who's trying to come after Sam Alexander, and uh, we don't really know her name until the very end of this. I'll tell you who it is, but I didn't know who this person is. And now we're getting to the part. So written by Jim Zub, art by Stephen Cummings, color art by Marcio Menez with Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. All right, well, glad he's doing that. So um, this issue is all about the the champions are kind of just doing some training. Sam Nova is uh, can't because he doesn't have his helmet. He uh, it was taken from him, so he really doesn't have any powers anymore. And uh, kind of just get to see, we kind of get to meet the new players on the team. So there's there's a character named Locust who uh, wears armor that protects her and enhances her physical abilities. Snow Guard can transform into a variety of animals. Patriot wields an enhanced shield and has training combat training. Bombshell creates explosive shockwaves and energy blasts. And then Power Man absorbs ambient chi energy uh, to fuel his enhanced strength and stamina. And then Falcon soars, soars as swiftly as his namesake. And these are people kind of from prior uh, issues and series. And, and I like that they're kind of, a, it's the new Young Avengers. It's really cool. But the the main piece of this story is Miles, he just can't, he can't get it out of his head that this girl that he saved while in Dubai that maybe she didn't get saved and there's another character on the team name her name is Koreshi and she I think does portals and so she basically sends him to do du- du- Dubai and at the same time the champions are trying kind of trying to clean up a mess the a bunch of people are riding at Worthington Industries because uh, everyone hates the X-Men right now from the Uncanny X-Men series which is cool because we got to see one of my favorite uh, characters from the new X-Men series that uh, was from like 2012 maybe um, it's not the Grant Morrison New Mutants or New X-Men it's the one where it had like Icarus and uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other characters I think I think X-23 was in it but this one and I don't I think her name was Mirage her name was Mirage but her real name is uh, Suraya Kadir and she controls sand and I'm pretty sure I'm, she wears a full burqa, so she's just co- coated in, like she's in all black. You can only see her eyes and her hands. I loved her character because she can control sand, and uh, so she's in this, which was really cool. But the whole the crux of this issue is Miss um, Marvel confronting Spider Man about what happened essentially, and you don't get to see it. That's the last episode, the last issue, or the last page is Miss Marvel shows up in Dubai, makes that girl give her a portal to to Spider Man, is like, all right 
talk what's going on and you find out in here and i won't i won't spoil it but you essentially find out what the cost was that mephisto was talking about because yeah i guess you could say that no strings were attached the uh, you know the the champions survived but let's be honest you're never gonna get to make a deal with mephisto and there not be strings attached that's just that's like only a young avenger like this would not realize that so check that issue out. I, th- I really liked it. Next up, we've got a new series. This is Cosmic Ghost Rider Destroys Marvel History, written by Paul Shear and Nick Giovanetti. Paul Shear, if you guys know, is from things like uh, Human Giant, The League, and uh, a couple others. Super funny, hilarious. And uh, penciled by Gerardo Sandoval and inks by Victor Nava with color by Antonio Fabella and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So I'll tell you guys this much. Cosmic Ghost Rider has a very weird history and a very real weird backstory because that's just the way that his character is. If you don't know anything about Cosmic Ghost Rider, uh, uh, rectify that immediately because he's an amazing character. And I'm not going to go into too much detail because I'd love for you guys to check this issue out and tell me what you think. I heard some really bad reviews about this series, but I really liked it, and I liked almost all of it. I thought it ran a little long, and to me, because of that, I'm thinking that this was like a joke that someone was talking about. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we had Cosmic Ghost Rider kind of rewrite Marvel history, like, as a prank, like, as a goof? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. Do you think you got enough material for that? And they're like, well, I think we've got enough material for a couple of things, but I guess we could probably expand on it if needed. And he was like, that's great. Let's do that. So essentially, uh, I mean, the long story of it is Frank Castle is the go- is Cosmic Ghost Rider. So Frank Castle dies and then makes a deal with Mephisto to be the Ghost Rider and then makes a deal with Galactus to become Galactus's herald. At that point, he gets the power cosmic. And then he becomes a uh, like the right-hand man for Thanos in the future, helping him destroy the, the universe. And then he decides he hates Thanos, goes back in time and tries to kill Thanos as a baby. Do- that doesn't work. But at that point, he's stuck in the past. And so he's trying... The whole point of this, and I, I thought this was really cool, is he's trying to save his family from dying. So he shows up at his family's front front porch, front house, and they're like, oh my God, Frank? And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm Frank's uncle, Fredo. And But you get to see Frank's wife, his daughter, and his son. And that part is just touching alone because it's like, you know, that's like the impetus for him becoming Punisher was that his whole family was killed. So he comes to the house the day before they're supposed to die. His wife has to go pick up his daughter from school. She got in trouble. So she's like, can you babysit um, the kid? And he's like, yeah, like, of course, I want time with my son sort of thing. But he can't admit it. But so the whole story is that he's telling stories to his son about the past. And so you find out. So this whole issue is dedicated to stories about Fantastic Four. So if you're a huge Fantastic Four fan, check this out because there's a lot in here I didn't get. But there's some cool callbacks like... Frank now apparently is the guy who created the Fantastic Four on accident and then some other weird stuff with like Galactus and then <clears throat> Throne World um, and then like a new a new Fantastic Four that he created and then by the end of it I was just like like I said I, I think it was was it right here yeah um, like on yeah the last few pages by then I was like okay this is running a little long but then at the very end of it, the last page cliffhangers got me wanting to read the next issue because I was like, ooh, this is interesting. So yeah, check this out. The art is, uh, I really like this art. It's its great. Um, it's kind of like Jeff Shaw's art or Dylan Burnett's art, which is kind of cool. So there's a there's a sort of through line there if you, you really enjoyed the other Cosmic Ghost Rider series. But yeah, I'd say check this out. Let me know if you like it because... I uh, I digged it. I digged it way more than I thought. I was kind of hesitant to read it. Uh, next up, guys, come on. Did I even have to say it? We're, we were uh, we're on Immortal Hulk. This is Immortal Hulk issue fourteen, which uh, is by Al Ewing with art by Kyle Holtz, which is interesting. Very curious because um, it's typically what is it? Uh, Joe Bennett and. Um, Definitely tell it's a very different artist. Uh, color art by Paul Mounts. Letters by VCs Corey Petit. But um, Kyle Holtz is, and I hope I'm saying his name right, but he 
got on my radar. He is a um, a veteran, you could probably say, of comics because he got on my radar with Carnage Mind Bomb, which was from the 90s. So he's been doing comic art for a while. And he just has this art style that's like a like parts gruesome, but also scary, but also kind of twisted. And uh, it works so well for a Hulk series. So typically... As an example, if you're pulling in a brand new artist or a guest artist to finish up your five-issue miniseries and the artist doesn't pull it off, yeah, that sucks. But when you've got someone like Kyle Holtz, who specifically in this issue is being called out as the guest artist on this issue, just absolutely killed it. He killed it. And in terms of just making it feel like a creepy, creepy issue. But the whole issue is surrounding uh, Thunderbolt Ross's death. Or his funeral, I should say. So, if you don't know that Thunderbolt Ross died, he did. You get all the details about it. He's actually, quote, and here, according to them, died three times. But uh, uh, he died in the Captain America series that's going on right now, the one by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And uh, so, this whole one's about the funeral. But the whole thing about it is Betty Ross sort of reuniting with Bruce. But at the time right now, they're trying to kill Bruce. Like the Gamma Squad or the the secret government organizations trying to kill Bruce Banner. And um, in this series, we get some... You you typically think, oh, it's a guest artist or it's it's a funeral episode. Like, it's going to be a throwaway episode. It's not. It really isn't. A lot of stuff happens in here. We get a new person on the scene at the very end, the last uh, last panel. We also get to see Hulk's head get blown, like a piece of his head get blown off, and even that doesn't kill him because he can't die. I loved, I loved, loved, loved this issue. The bad guy, the like government run guy, he's kind of like a... He's kind of a piece of crap to Betty at the funeral, and it sort of always has been, but he's got like a sniper on her house, and she meets Bruce there, and the sniper's like on him, and he's like, can I please, the sniper basically says, can I please shoot through him? No. He says, uh, that's a negative. And she's like, I th- he's like, I thought friends of the Hulk were enemy collaborators, General. And he says, I buried her father today, Burbank. That man, man meant a great deal to me. I won't send his daughter to join him unless I have to. And he's like, you weren't there. You didn't see where the monster that took us. He's like, request denied, I said. And it's like, okay, cool. So this guy's got some stuff in him. But then obviously that you know doesn't happen by the end of this. And so we get a really cool, I'm thinking we're getting a really cool twist with Betty. Because multiple times they talk about in this issue that she was Red She-Hulk. And um, and look, if you're listening to this on anything, you can skip ahead 30 seconds. I'm just going to say this really quick because it is a, this is a spoiler that I'm about to say, but it's, it's for the purpose of this conversation. So uh, pause it, whatever, skip ahead. But Betty gets shot and she gets shot in this issue and it's like oh my god and so that's kind of what turns him into hulk and the guy who shoots her is just like whoops general and uh so okay because they're in the house they're in the house and so all we can see are thermals like thermal imaging and he's like i can't tell who's who and uh the general's like agent burbank stand down now that's an order the sun's gone down and it's like, well, you know, why did he say that? It's obviously it's because when the sun goes down, that's the Hulk's time. And uh, she gets shot and he immediately turns into the Hulk. And the guy's like, whoops, general, I hit the wrong one. And the Hulk just busts out of the house. And uh, he's he's going and the general's just like, it's, he's like, stun and run. Like, don't try and kill him. Get out. It's night, you damn fool. Were you asleep during retraining? Unless the sun's up, he doesn't die. None of them die. And then it shows uh, Betty, her eyes glow red. And she goes, err. And then that's the end of that. And I was like, oh, like, holy cow. Even, I've got chills talking about it. Like, even this series is just so good. Part of me wishes that I had gotten in on it on the first issue, like live. And I could have it guys. I could have, and I would be a rich man because those first, I mean, even these issues, like the current issues, like issue 20, they're getting third printings, which is just insane to me that so many people love this book. And for good reasons, an awesome book, jump on it, especially this issue. Cause Kyle Holtz is doing the art. You got to check him out next up. It's a new number one, Meet the Scrolls, uh, which is by, and I'm going to get to that page real quick, but it's by Robbie Thompson and uh, art by Nico Hen uh, Henrichon with color color assistant 
Laurent Grassat, and then letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I wanted to check this out. I heard a couple good things. I figured maybe that this would be kind of like the Vision series where it's, you know, someone pretending to be a family. And it is. It is. So if you liked Tom King's Vision, check this out. Just because it's kind of got that same vibe, it certainly is not the same story at all. But um, these scrolls are 100% scrolls. In, in the sense that these aren't these aren't Captain Marvel's scrolls. These are they're bad guys. At least I can tell from this first issue. Now, if they twist that up, great, awesome. But from what I'm telling from this this issue, it's uh, it's a father and it's a, a mother and father, and then two um, female ki- female kids. Uh, one's a little younger than the other, and they all have missions. Like to the whole point of this is there's this project going on right now called uh, Project Blossom. And the beginning, we get we see this guy who's kind of got like electrical powers or something, killing some scrolls, and says Project Blossom is ready for the next phase. And then we see from the scroll people that they're like, we have to stop Project Blossom from happening, otherwise, like people will be able to find out who we are essentially or, or find us. So we don't necessarily know yet what the backstory is on this, but we know that the scroll father works for Tony Stark, which is cool. We get to see a little bit about that. The girls are at school, but they're trying to infiltrate some families. Uh, I mean, like, ugh, it's just great. It, it, there's a there's one with the, the younger daughter. They're trying to, like, get her to be friends with some of the kids at school. And um, it's just, it's cool. Honestly, on this one, I would, I would love for you guys to check it out, too, because it's a family drama. By all, all intents and purposes, it's a family drama. And uh, how does the issue end? Oh, well, the issue ends with uh, that electrical guy hanging out at the butterfly, the butterfly pavilion where the daughter was. The, the younger daughter sounds like she's going to be the weak link of this issue because she has started to sort of, quote unquote, blend in with the humans. She wants to sort of be a human, so she wants to have friends. And these girls are making fun of her, so she, without them seeing, turns into a butterfly and flies away. And, um, and now this guy's shown up. So it's like, uh Oh, the plot thickens, which is interesting. So that's really all I can say on it. Like I said, I, I don't, I, this, it's a first, it's the first issue, but it's a mini series as well. So it's short. So if you want to jump on it, do it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Next up, star Wars, age of Republic, Padme, Amidala hit or miss. It's, um, I guess you could call it a miss. Uh, it's definitely not required reading. It's Padme Amidala in bridge. Uh, written by Jody Hauser, with art by Corey Smith and Wilton Santos, with inks by Walden Wong and Mark Deering, and then colors by uh, Java or Hava Tartaglia, with letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And uh, it it does if you like Padme Amidala, and I love Padme. She uh, it's a cool issue. Like it's enjoyable just to get to see some more character development from her. Because if you guys remember, don't forget. All of the Star Wars comics that Marvel puts out are canon with the movies. So this is all canon with the movies, and nothing really crazy happens in this issue, but it's still nice to get to see that character growth and development for Padme because she was one of my favorite characters in the series. But uh, it's essentially about her going on a diplomatic uh, adventure to a planet to just kind of try and recruit this planet to be a part of the Republic and uh, and that's essentially it. So, like I said, it's kind of boring. But if you like Padme and you're looking for some character development on her, um, you could do a lot worse. The real hit for Star Wars today was Star Wars Vader Dark Visions issue number one. Now, I may be wrong, but I think this is also a mini series. Um, I'm not sure. I, I if I remember correctly, it is. But uh, it's not saying anything in here in terms of like one through five. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Here we go. Part one of five. Written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam, art by Paolo Vianelli, and then colors by Arif Prianto, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So it says Darth Vader is the Empire's most powerful warrior, mercilessly enforcing peace and order throughout the galaxy. Killer, monster, savior. What is the true legacy that the Dark Lord has left behind for those unfortunate enough to cross his deadly and destructive path? Um, I don't know if this is just five one and done issues because it feels kind of like it, but in this issue, it's like this off-world planet. There's a giant battle going on in the skies, in space, between the Republic and the Empire, and Darth Vader has to crash land on this planet. And this planet kind of has, not necessarily primitive people on it, but just this this kind of race of people that there's this giant, giant monster called the Ender 
that is on the planet. It's like a gigantic sort of kaiju, like a Godzilla type thing. And Darth Vader essentially just beats the holy hell out of this thing, like destroys it. And, um, and it's a good, this is like, okay, so that would be my recommendation on this book. If you're looking for a book where you wanted to see Darth Vader, just go boss level on a giant monster. That's your book. This is your book, especially when you have a young kid who is witnessing this and think about it, witnessing something for the first time has never seen anything like this before knows there's a giant monster on his planet that everyone on the planet is fearful of and uh darth vader is just fighting him and he calls him the black knight with his magical flaming sword look he's perched atop our monstrous god's giant head the black knight lifts his magical flaming sword drops to a knee and buries it deep cooking that golden eyeball from the inside out when the ender first showed up she wiped out whole armies in a day she yanked great warships from the sky and bit them in half um Uh, swallowed decimator bombs like they were berries nothing could stop her trampling everything that was and now this one man the black knight is slicing her open like an overripe pog melon and it's like oh my like it's cool because there's a there's a back and forth like the monster gets the upper hand vader gets the upper hand and everyone's just like are we supposed to worship vader and I'll tell you this much, now that I'm seeing it, the panel of the week is coming from this issue 100%. I mean, oh my, I'm going through this. Is this even a 4.99? It's 28 pages, so I think it's got bonus fight in it. And then by the end of it, it just says the end. So I think I think these are one and done issues, but God, it's good. It's so good. And, uh, and then, you know, Vader gets picked up by a Star Destroyer and leaves. And so it was like, imagine something like Darth Vader coming to a primitive planet and doing that people would worship him as a god. Like, so there's an insane legacy that Darth Vader has on that specific planet. That's pretty cool. So yeah, that's, I am really looking forward to the next issue. After that issue, I, I'm, a, I'm in, I'm in. Next up is Amazing Spider-Man Hunted, issue 16.HU. Uh, this is one of the tie-in issues to the Hunted storyline. So uh, like I said, I'm really glad I'm going to get to read these on Marvel Unlimited because I didn't really follow Hunted in stores. I have all of the Hunted issues on... Honestly, I should see Cobb stop talking about that because unless I read them, there's no point and I'm not. I'm going to just read this live. So, you know, forget I even said that. But uh, this is issue 16.HU and it's by Nick Spencer with art by Eben Coelho and color art by Edgar Delgado. Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And... Uh, Oh, no way. Okay, cover art was by Greg Land and Justin Ponzor. Rest in peace. I didn't realize he was still doing stuff at this point. That's cool. Eben Coelho, another great artist, guys. Um, so this issue's art is beautiful. Check it out just for the art. But this issue is a focus on Black Cat. So these tie-in issues are kind of focused on other characters. Another great tie-in issue so that when you get to issue 17, you aren't confused like I was as to what was going on. This kind of also goes into detail about why and how um, Felicia got her memories back, uh, about who Spider-Man was. Cause if you guys remember, and I had to Google this today, cause I talked about it with someone a while back in terms of what happened was, and I had to clear myself up was, um, in civil war, Spider-Man revealed his identity and then, um, Aunt May got shot because of it. And so he made a deal with Mephisto to save Aunt May's life. And the deal cost, the deal was Aunt May's life for Peter and Mary Jane's marriage. But then when Brand New Day started, no one knew that he was Spider-Man. And I, being one of those people, thought, oh, that was part of Mephisto's deal. It wasn't part of Mephisto's deal. It was actually in another another later issues of Amazing Spider-Man called um, One Moment in Time that uh, essentially Spider-Man asked or got help from Mr. Fantastic, Doctor Strange, and I think Captain America to cast a spell that like a a, sort of a virus type spell that made everybody forget who he is. And when, uh, when he reveals himself to people, they'll remember. But when he reveals himself to people who knew prior that he was Spider-Man, all their memories come back, which is in a sense, kind of a mean thing that peter parker did especially to black cat because if you guys remember they were in love they were an item for a really long time and she forgot everything and, and she goes into detail in here about how hard that was that she just forgot she forgot everything about spider-man and uh 
It's yeah. So it says uh, he got himself in some big trouble and ended up getting Doctor Strange to cast a spell on his behalf, one that made the entire world forget who he was under the mask. The entire world, including me. Suddenly, I couldn't remember the face of a man I'd. Okay, I'll say it. A man I loved. Times we'd spent together, moments we'd share, were now foggy or even worse, gone entirely. In fact, at first I couldn't even tell I was missing things, but after a while it was clear something was wrong, and it got to me, sent me down a pretty dark path if I'm honest, but that's not what I'm angry about, no, because just the other day, out of nowhere, he made things right, told me who he was, and just like that, the spell was lifted." Good news, you'd think, except again, this is me, and that's not how my luck works ever. And so um, basically she's like had all these memories rushing back and all this stuff, and that's a really sad thing to deal with, especially for something like that. He essentially made everybody who he had revealed his identity to forget about it. And, And again, at the end of the day, he still revealed himself to her again. But we go through that, and then we lead up to where she's trying to save Kurt Connors' son, and um, we get a good fight between her and Taskmaster and Black Ant, and then we get a, we get we get we find out how Spider-Man knew where she was, which is also a really cool and really sad part of the story. Um, so honestly, that's a it's a golden issue. I would really recommend reading it. Uh, I liked it a lot, and it makes it gives a lot more context to the hunted storyline. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Men, issue number 14, 13, issue number 13. Like I said, guys, I look forward to this book, I and I, I, that hasn't changed a bit. So um, this is a, uh, let's find who's doing this book. Matthew Rosenberg, uh, the king of X-Men right now, uh, with Salvador LaRocca on art, and he's killing it too, with color art by Guru EFX, and then letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And uh, this is Forever, Part 3. So it says, With most of their teammates presumed dead after a cataclysmic battle, Cyclops and Wolverine have banded together as the last X-Men. Their first mission was a success, rescuing former X-Men Magic, Wolfsbane, Mirage, Karma, and Havoc from the custody of the Office of National Emergency, a federal agency that polices mutants. And so when it's saying that, I actually don't, now that I'm saying it's saying that, I don't think it's Mirage that uh, uh, was in that New Mutants issue. She had a different name, I think. I just I don't remember what her name is. But uh, the whole thing in this one is Cyclops is coming up with a plan because at this point they don't really know what to do with themselves. It's like we're the only ones left. What do we do? And he has this plan of all the basically all the villains. It's like a big, big list. It's got Dark Beast, Mr. Sinister, Cassandra Nova, Magneto. The list is very exhaustive. But uh, he says uh, essentially we can't, we're not doing things the same way that we used to do. And he says, uh, oh, and there's a great line in here. I'm mean, I got to tell you guys this line. But he says, uh, he says, no, we're not, we're not solving things that way anymore. They're like, it's the worst list we've ever seen. And someone's like, it's a suicide pact. And Logan says, it's a kill list. And Cyclops is like, no, it's not. We aren't solving things that way, not anymore. And Logan says, it's the best way to make sure they stay solved. And Cyclops says, we get it, Logan. It looks like the solution to every problem is stabbing people for the guy with knives in his hands. And then Logan says, and it looks like it isn't for the guy looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. And Cyclops says, you've been waiting to use that one for a while, haven't you? And Wolverine says, maybe. And he says, uh, so Magic says, okay, it's not a kill list. What is it? He says, it's a list of our biggest problems, uh, X-Men problems. If we have no future, as my brother so gently put it, then this is what we leave behind. We make this a better place for everyone, better than anyone has ever made it for us. We're going to show the world what the X-Men meant. And she says, so I was right. It's a suicide pact. So um, basically they're going to, I guess, knock out or take out all of these people. And then even better than that, they're like, what are we going to do? We have no costumes. Like I said, guys, this this series is just kicking it out of the park. Or I guess you could say it's kicking it into the goal. But um, they're like, we don't have any costumes. And Logan's like, yeah, I went back to the mansion underground, like snuck in and found what I could. And what he could find is all their old costumes. So they're all dressed up in like their sort of 90s-ish costumes. Cyclops has got the 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 like yellow um sort of thing around his shoulder wolverine's in his brown and yellow costume magic is as well they all kind of are super cool but um then they all start it's a big fight and the it looks like the bad guy they face in this issue is is dark beast and it's a cool a very cool fight and um from there 
we kind of see where, oh, that obviously, you know, people still hate mutants. So, um, it ge- the last page gears up to maybe some new people that they're going to try and recruit possibly. And, uh, I, I don't know, but like I said, I'm just in it for the ride on this one, guys. This X-Men series has been so good. The art is out knocking it out of the park. Salvador La Roca does such a good job. He killed it on Invincible Iron Man. And uh, he's doing just the same here on Canny X-Men. Uh, but then the final book, and this one is uh, one of those Marvel 80th anniversary books. This is Ziggy Pig Silly Seal Comics. And uh, yeah, it's uh, Road to Latveria by Frank Thierry and John Cirilli with art by Jacob Shabat and uh, color art by Stefani Renee with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And uh, all I'm going to say, because it's really hard to describe, the art is good. I really like the art. The story is really weird. It's very meta. It's kind of like a, it's a comedy. So like I said, they've got these Marvel 80th anniversary books that they were doing like one shots essentially of to honor all of the books that they used to write, like a Western book, a romance book. This is the comedy book. So it's actually got some pretty funny parts in it, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, if you like Marvel because you like the superhero side of it, this one's kind of cool. It reminded me a lot of like a Spider-Ham sort of book. But Doctor Doom's in it, and that part was cool, I guess. But in terms of hit or miss, I just, I don't know. It, it just wasn't my type of book. I enjoyed the comedy, but beyond that, like, I'm, I'm not going to read this again. And it certainly is not required reading. But, um, yeah, those are, those are all the ones that came out. There are some other books that came out this week as well that I didn't read. Those were uh, Deadpool, number 10. Domino Hotshots number one. That's a new number one, but it's essentially just uh, feeding off of the prior Domino book. Uh, Killmonger number five. Star Wars Sig number sixty-two, and then we got some um, some new ones they're putting from I call it the Vault, but essentially all the old X Men, some old X Men books and whatnot came out this week as well. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the Marvel Unlimited Monday for this week. So I would say if uh, if we're talking what my favorite book of the week was this week. I, oh guys, you know, honestly, I think my favorite book this week was was Vader Dark Visions. That fight in that book is just so good. And uh, it really impressed me. I was not in the cool. The cover is awesome. It's him as a knight. He's got his lightsaber and a shield riding a devil horse. And like I said, that's going to be the panel of the week for me too. That's the, the panel that's in the book is so, it's just it's so good. But if I'm, ah, man, but you got that with Immortal Hulk. That one was good. Uncanny X-Men was great. So was Avengers No Road Home. It's just, it's a good time to be alive, guys. We've got so many great comics to, to read. But the, that's where we'll wrap things up. Uh, this is Alex Klein with Comics and Cinema. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Music.